Dear congregation, Psalm 78 begins by saying, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. God is saying here, give him your ear. Listen attentively to what he's saying. And to incline your ear really means to stretch out your ear towards God. Really to, to lean in towards God, to, to try to hear every word of what he's saying. Sometimes you'll see people so attentive in a conversation, they're leaning toward each other, especially if you're listening to an older person or, or you're not good in hearing and you want to catch every single word and you're, you're leaning in to listen. That's what God is saying here. Incline your ear, stretch your ear out to God to, to hear what he has to tell you. And so what are we listening for? Well, God here is calling us to pay attention, to listen to the story of history, to hear but he is teaching us about himself. Because God is teaching us to trust and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. To believe in him as the God of heaven and earth. But in order for us to trust in God, we, we need to know who God is. We need to know what God does. Why should we trust in him? And that's, what God, that's why God is teaching us here. And that is why God tells us to teach our children about God, so that we all can learn to know who He is and what He does. And especially today as we begin Sunday school classes again, that's part of this teaching, God says to us, stretch out your ear, listen to what God is saying. In this psalm, it's said as a contemplation of Asaph, he's a prophet of God. He's speaking to the people on behalf of God. And he says he will, in verse 2, he says he'll speak in parables, in dark sayings. He, he's, he wants to teach them the deep truths of God, the doctrines of God. And sometimes this can be difficult. It can be difficult for us to understand what this means. But he's using stories here to help us to remember, to help us to understand what it means. Because stories give us pictures in our minds to see what is happening, what happens in history, and what the Bible is saying, to make it clear in our minds what God is trying to tell us. And everybody likes to hear stories, don't you? You like to hear what your parents did when they were young. You like to hear what your grandparents did, what happened to them in their lives. And, and stories are interesting. Every family has stories. Every country, every nation has stories to tell, and, and these stories are important. They, they convey some message. They convey some, some lessons of the past. And sometimes maybe your dad will say, when I was in this kind of a job or when I was on the farm, I, I did this, but that was not the right thing to do. It didn't work, so, so don't do that. You should do this. And so there's, there's, it's a way of teaching. And here God gives us stories. The Sunday school lessons are all based on the Bible stories, the, the history of the Bible and this is how God teaches us. The stories show how people have made mistakes in the past, how they have lived. And he says, don't do that. But here is the right way. And it shows us who God is and what he has done. And it teaches us to follow him. And so our theme for this morning is teaching our children to trust in God. Teaching our children to trust in God. And we just have two main thoughts. And the first is, 
why we teach our children, and the second is what? What we teach our children, or what God is teaching us. So, first, why we teach our children. And the first reason we see why we teach our children about God is to glorify God. The first reason why we teach our children is to glorify God. Verse 3 says, which we have heard and known, which our fathers have taught us. Our fathers, our parents, our teachers have taught us about God. And then verse 4 says, we will not hide them from their children. We won't hide what we learned from you, children. We want to tell you the Bible histories. We want to tell you what we have learned. Because these are not just made-up stories. These are not just meaningless stories. But this is the Word of God. The unfailing and unchanging Word of God that teaches us the doctrines and the unchanging truth of God. God uses real stories in real history to teach us real lessons about who He is, the true and living God. So it's to the glory of God that we tell you what we have seen and learned. Verse 4 continues and says, Telling to the generation to come, the praises of the Lord. And isn't that the first reason why we go to church and, and why we go to Sunday school or catechism class? is to praise and to glorify God. Because if that's not the first reason why we come to church or why we go to Sunday school, then we're, then we're missing the point. We need to worship God through His means. Whatever benefits we receive from these places it is secondary to God's glory, that we, we receive benefits from the Lord through these means. But the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Not first for what we can benefit, even though that is important as well. And so we worship God by, by speaking, by hearing, by singing His praises. And by verse 4, it says, by showing His strength and His wonderful works, that he has done. The Bible stories convey who God is and what he has done in history. So for the glory of God, but a second reason is we teach in obedience to God because God has commanded us to teach. Verse 5 says that God has established his testimony, his covenant. He has set it for a law among the people. And then he says he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. And so we're commanded to teach you and to teach each other about God, to speak about God. That's part of the great commission that the Lord Jesus gave before he ascended into heaven. Go therefore into all the world and make disciples, teaching them all things which I have commanded you. And so that's our desire also, to, to teach others about the Lord Jesus Christ and to show how good God is to undeserving sinners, to teach you about the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has done. We cannot hide it. We will not hide it. Maybe you'll ask a missionary one day, why did he go to a different country? Why did he go all the way across the world to live in poverty or to endanger his life to tell them about the Lord Jesus? Well, it's because he has been taught. He has, he has learned of God who God is, and he can't hold that back. He doesn't want to hide it. He doesn't want to restrain it. But they want to be obedient to God. They want to glorify God. God does not just teach us about himself 
so that we can keep it to ourselves, but it's to tell others. Worshiping God is the proclaiming the praises of God. And so even if the world tells us to be quiet, which in many places they do, many missionaries could never hide it, even though it was at the cost of their own lives. They laid down their life telling people about the Lord Jesus. Verse 5 says, He commanded our fathers, and we must continue to teach our children, even if this world says, don't. And so it's, it's primarily the responsibility of fathers to teach our children. We are the, the, the heads of the household. See, we have the primary responsibility to ensure that our children are receiving the training, beginning at home and in church, uh, to be taught about who God is. Deuteronomy 4 verse 9 says, Don't forget the lessons, but teach them to your children and your grandchildren. And so we see it's, it's a multi-generational effort here that God is showing us to, to teach our children. Especially in this world where there's so much effort today fighting against God, trying to take God out of our minds, out of our lives, out of our schools, out of our cities. The world is uniting in many ways. Even though they can't agree themselves, they're uniting against one common front, and that is against Christianity, against God. But God says, teach your children. Don't be silent. And it starts at home. And the church here works together with our families to help teach the children. The church families work together. And so Sunday school lessons are one of these means to help our children soak in these Bible stories, to, to soak in the message of God, and to, so that they remember this story, these stories. Because we have to remember that it only takes one generation to forget and to lose it. But it takes the effort of every family and of, of the church family and the generation to hold on to it, to remember it, and to teach it to the next generation. And we thank everyone who is, has, who is or has been faithfully involved in, in this, and we know it's your desire to, to do this. And we can be especially grateful to God that His Word is an everlasting Word, that His Word will not die out. An atheist once said, change is always one generation away. And he says, so if we can plant the seed of doubt in our children, religion will go away in a generation. That is their desire. That is what they're aiming at. They want to squash Christianity in a generation. And it has now been in the world for some 6,000 years, and it has not been squashed. And the reason is because God commands us to plant the seeds of truth. They plant seeds of doubt. But the reality is we all have doubt in our hearts already. They're not really seeding anything new. But we are planting seeds of truth, God's Word. And this grows up into eternal life in the hearts of our children. And that's why God says, teach our children, because this will not be lost. God's Word will endure forever. And so we teach because God commands us to. But the third reason that we teach is in verse 6, that the generation to come might know them. And in verse 7, that their hope may be set, that they may, may be, that they may set their hope on God. The reason that we teach our children is so that they will learn 
and one day be able to teach their children about this God. And so why does God teach us? Why does God really want us to learn about Him, to go to church, to go to Sunday school? Well, one to glorify His name, but verse 7, so that you may set your hope in God, that you will not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. We learn so that you will trust in God, so that you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, so that you will have that confidence that God is your God as well, so that you will live trusting and obeying in this God, so that you don't forget, he says, so that you don't forget who God is. That means so you don't ignore what God says, and that you don't reject what God teaches but that we remember and that we believe. And so how do we listen? How do we listen when we come to church? How do we listen when we go to Sunday school? How do we listen at home when your dad reads the Bible or your mom reads you the Bible stories? How do we listen? Do we come to worship and to thank God? Do we gather around God's Word at home to worship Him and to thank Him for what He does? Do we listen carefully so we can learn to know who this God is and and how we can trust Him in our life? How He can help us in our troubles that we are in? How He can lead us in this life? Or do we just ignore what's being said? Or do we forget whatever the teacher was saying the moment we leave the, the room? God says, don't forget. Don't forget, but stretch out your ear children, stretch out your ear to listen what God is saying to you. Because he says here in verse 8, he, he, he's saying, don't be like, the, don't make the same mistakes that Israel did. They were stubborn. They were rebellious. They did not prepare their hearts. They were not faithful to God. Because you know how we live really depends on what we believe about God. How we listen to his word shows us what we think about God. Because if we do not trust and hope in God, then why do we really want to listen? Then we don't want to give our ear to God. But we want to give our ear to whatever we want to hear. But if we know who God is, if we learn who God is, and what he does for you, then we begin to listen more carefully. Because then we want to learn to trust in him and to obey him. And so we need to ask today, who is God for you? Who is God for you today? And so the rest of this psalm, really, it tells the history of Ephraim. And Ephraim is, is one of the tribes, but it's used to, to speak about the ten tribes that broke away mainly. In verse 8 and 9, it says that they were stubborn, they were rebellious. It says, even though they were mighty warriors, even though they had bows and arrows, they were armed. Yet it says when, they, when it came time to fight, they got scared. And they thought, well, God can't help us here, and they ran away. They did not believe that God could help him, and they refused to obey God when God says, go and fight. They forgot the works that he did. They forgot the wonders that he did. They forgot the stories that were told them. Now God says, don't be like Ephraim, who did not trust God. He says, don't make the same mistakes that he did, but learn to trust the Lord because he is faithful. And so the rest of the psalm shows that God 
God is showing us here the difference between Him and us, between a faithful God and an unfaithful people here shown in Israel. And so that brings us to our second point. What is God teaching us? Well, God is teaching us to trust in Him because history here shows a pattern. It shows a cycle. It shows how God is continually merciful and faithful, even though Israel was continually sinning and unfaithful, continually rebelling against God. And the history of the Bible, from the beginning to the end, is the story of God's salvation. It shows how God saves His people, and especially here in this psalm, it's speaking about when He delivers Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And that story is a picture, that history is a picture of how God saves you from sin. How God delivers you from the power of sin. And so verse 11 says, The people forgot His works and His wonders that He had shown them when He had delivered them. They forgot what He did. Verse 12, He he did marvelous things in Egypt. God delivered them from Egypt, and it says from Zoan, which refers to the, the central place of power there, the, the Hyksos um, dynasty, I believe it was called, the, but the, the Egyptian army as well. It was, it was the most powerful nation at that time, and God delivered them from it. And then after they left Egypt, they, you, you know the story of when they came to the Red Sea and there was a sea in front of them. There were mountains on both sides and suddenly Egyptians came behind them and they, they found themselves trapped again. The enemy behind and the sea in front. And God delivered them again, verse 13. He divided that Red Sea. He, he piled up the waters on either side and He let them pass through the sea and He drowned His enemies. And verse 14 says how He began to lead them through the desert. That cloud was leading them by the day and a pillar of fire by night. And there in the middle of the dry desert, God made the rivers of water to flow. He had Moses hit the rock and the waters flowed like rivers and and it gave him enough to drink for the two million people that were there. There was no shortage. And you would think if we saw miracles like that, that we would never doubt God again. That we would always be faithful to obey Him because look what He has done. But... Verse 17 says, But they sinned even more against him. And here we see that pattern beginning and continuing. They rebelled against the Most High. They fought against Moses, their leader. They complained because they did not want to listen to God. They did not want Moses leading them. In verse 18, they tested God. They were not satisfied with what God was giving them. They wanted different food. They were looking for what they could get from God instead of being satisfied with what they have. Verse 19, they doubted and they began to speak against God. Do we ever grumble? Do we ever complain against God for what we have? Maybe we say, well, why is this happening? Why why me? Why can't I have that? Ephraim in verse 20 said, Behold, or, or, or look, God can make water come out of this rock, He can make rivers in the middle of the desert, but can God give us bread too? Because we want bread. Can God give us meat? Because we want meat. They doubt God, and they're they're not satisfied with what God gives them. Look 
how much God has given us. How much do we have? We have more than this world has ever had, as far as we know. More food, more wealth, more Bibles, more churches, more seminaries, more books, more teaching, more Sunday school programs or curriculums, vacation Bible school, you can go on and on. But is there any interest for what God has given? Or do we say, well, can He give us bread too? We want something different. We're looking for something else. But God says, don't be like them. But trust God, because He gives more than we need. Verse 21, what happens? The Lord heard, and He was furious, and He punishes them. A fire began and decided to camp somewhere and destroyed many people. Why? Well, it comes as a warning to us as well. Verse 22, it says, Because they did not believe in God. They did not trust in His salvation, in His deliverance. They did not believe that God could really provide for them. But God is showing that He provides everything that we need for this life and for eternity. And God tells us now, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. But if you don't say, believe, the Bible says you're condemned already. What will make us trust in God? Is it these punishments? Is it out of fear? Likely not if you think God is always angry with you. But God shows here that He is faithful and that He is merciful and that He's a covenant God. Verse 23, it says, Yet He, yet He. That reminds us of Ephesians 2 where it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. But God is merciful. He is patient. He is kind. He is long-suffering. That even though these people are so unfaithful continually, verse 23 says that God made it rain down manna, the bread of heaven. He gave them angels' food to eat the best food for the most rebellious people. And not just a little. He gave them more than they needed, more than enough. And not just bre bread, but he rained down meat too. He caused the winds to blow. He caused those, those quails to blow into the camp and land among the tents. So much that they couldn't eat it all. More than they could desire, verse 27 says. But it came at a cost. The Lord punished him again. Verse 30 says, while it was still in their mouth, while they're still eating, God punished them. His wrath came down. He slew the fattest and the choicest, the greediest, the ones who are so focused on the blessings instead of on the God who gives it. And verse, 20, verse 32 says, in spite of this, they still sinned and did not believe in his wondrous works, after all God did, they continue to sin against Him again. And is it really any different with us? After all that God has shown us and given us and taught us. So verse 33 says, Therefore their days He consumed in futility. 
God had led them all those years in safety through the desert, and they reached a promised land. But again, they did not believe that God could drive out the enemy. They did not trust in God, and here is where they turned back and said, we will not go because the enemies are too strong, and we will turn back, and God had to punish them again. He would not let that generation enter into the land of Canaan. They had to die in the wilderness. And there they realized their mistake, and they said, okay, we will go. But God said, no. It says they sought him, verse 34. And they returned and sought earnestly for God even. But verse 36, it actually says that they lied. They did not have that true repentance of heart. They were not faithful to God. They did not trust God. In verse 38, God again shows that even though they are unfaithful, He is faithful. He shows His compassion again. He forgives them. He does not destroy them. Yes, it says many times God turned His anger away, for He remembered that they were but flesh, a breath that passes away and does not come again. How often has God been patient with us? How often have we doubted Him? How often have we rebelled against Him? How often have we been unfaithful to Him? And how often has He shown His compassion to us? How many times has He turned His anger away from us and not destroyed us? How many times have we said, well, we will do better next time? How often have we made promises to God that we could never keep? Every time we fail, like these people of Ephraim. And all this time, God is saying, He's given us time to repent, giving us time to trust and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is still time to teach our children. There is still time, children, to learn diligently from your parents and your teachers. There is still time to worship and to glorify God because He is merciful because he is slow to anger, because he is plenteous in mercy. And God says, don't make the same mistake. But the cycle just seems to continue. Verse 40, they provoked him, they grieved him, they tempted him, they limited him, they did not trust him. Verse 42, they did not remember what he did for them in Egypt. Do we remember? But God continues to lead them and to provide for them. But when they did finally arrive in the land of Canaan, Judges 2 verse 10 says that after Joshua and his generation died, the next generation, it says, did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And what happened? They forsook the Lord, and they began to worship idols, and they turned away from God, verse 57 says, And they provoked him to anger. And again, the Lord comes with his punishments. In verse 60, it says God left his tabernacle, the the symbol of his presence among the people, he left. And he let the enemies come and conquer them. He let the enemies take them into captivity. It says the effects of the war consumed them, consumed their young men and their young women. God says, don't be like them. God shows us that pattern, doesn't He? And He shows it in our own life too. Do we see it in our own life? 
He is faithful. But as people continue to sin, when will this end? Well, you might ask, how long will the Lord keep this, let this keep going before He does not want to help us anymore? Maybe we can ask that question of our own land. How, how long will the Lord leave our own land in existence with everything that's happening? Will He forsake it? Has He forsaken it? Will He return? Or maybe for ourselves? Will God still have mercy on me? Will God still forgive me? Will He forgive me again? But then here we need to see that the psalm suddenly takes a turn. God is showing His unfailing faithfulness to His people in, in contrast to the unfaithfulness of His people. God's faithfulness will never fail. In verse 65 it says, Then the Lord awoke us from a sleep like a mighty man who shouts because of wine. And God shows us here why we can trust Him and why we must trust Him. God had made a covenant with His people Israel. He had said, I will be your God and you shall be my people. And God shows them that He remains faithful to His own covenant. Even though the Israelites broke it over and over and over again and sin must be punished. But He remembers them for His mercy's sake. And He, he verse 66 says, he, he will drive back His enemies. And so God teaches us through these stories what He has planned to do. Verse 68, it says, God will give them a king. He has chosen the tribe of Judah. He will build his sanctuary, his church, his temple. He will build it again. His presence will return. It says he took David from following the sheep, from, from being a despised servant in the field. He, he brought him out to lead the people of God, to become king of his people, and to lead him in obedience to God in the integrity of his heart. So what, is this, what does God mean? Well, here God is teaching us of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though the story does not mention the Lord Jesus' name, it teaches us that the Lord Jesus Christ is the greater king than David. He's the greater shepherd than David. All this is pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And God tells us in the story, don't be like Ephraim. Don't make the same mistakes, but we do. We are just like Ephraim. We don't obey. We still sin. And God must punish sin. But the Lord is saying He can be merciful to us because of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that the Lord Jesus Christ came to bring us back, to reconcile us to God. The history of the Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ came into this world to live as a man, to obey for His people, to obey, in, to live in perfect obedience to God. He lived that perfect life. He did not sin. And God shows how the Lord Jesus Christ came to, to, to take the punishment for our sins. And so God is saying here, stretch out your ear, children. Stretch out your ear, your ear adults, and listen to this. So listen to what God is saying to you. God says you deserve punishment. You deserve eternal punishment. But because Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for sin, he says now, now whosoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved and shall not perish. God teaches us that just like Ephraim, we cannot stop sinning ourselves. 
We cannot stop this cycle of sin, of being disobedient to God. But it shows us that God is the one who is faithful. And that when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, He also gives His Holy Spirit to break the power of sin, to deliver us from sin, to, to enable us to begin obeying Him. And God teaches us here that we will never be able to enter heaven just by trying to be good. Because we, like Ephraim, continually fall into sin. And we deserve eternal punishment. But God teaches us here in church and in Sunday school that God remains faithful because He made those promises that whoever believes in Jesus Christ should not perish but have everlasting life. And you can and you must trust in God alone to be saved and to, be, to provide for everything you need in this life and in the next. We can never earn our way to heaven. We continue, continue to fall. Even the children of God know the shortcomings that remain in our hearts. But he continually points to himself as a covenant-making and as a covenant-keeping God. That if it was not for him, we could not be saved. That we can only love him because he first loved us. That we are no different than Ephraim, but God is the same God as he was for Ephraim as he is for you and for me today. And so why do we teach? Why do we teach these lessons? Because we want to worship and to glorify God for this word, for this news, this word of salvation that he gives in Jesus Christ. This, this is what is to be proclaimed around the world, that for, for every sinner there is a salvation. For every believer there is strength and grace to continue in this life and to make it to the end. We teach because we have learned from God that He has delivered us from sin, that He is the one who has given us a heart that loves Him and wants to obey Him. We teach because He has given us that grace. We teach because we are commanded to tell others we want to learn more about Him. We want to learn more together. We want others to learn to know that God is faithful to an unfaithful people, even though we fail. And children, so often we can fail and, and do things wrong, but God remains faithful to you. We teach because we know that none of us deserve these blessings, but God freely gives them to disobedient people to people who trust in Him. Though we cannot and do not, He says, trust in Me. He takes fallen sinners and gives them the strength and the grace to trust and to obey and to walk in His ways. And we teach these things out of love for you, for one another, because we want everyone to know this God, to know who He is for you, so that your confidence, your trust can be in Him. That your hope and your expectation will be in Him, even from a young age. And that you will trust Him all the days of your life. And so as God says, when you grow older, and you have children, the Lord willing, and grandchildren, you can teach them the wonderful truths, the wonders that God has done how He has saved you from sin and death, and how He still saves and leads His people continually as long as His world exists. And so, let us stretch out our ears. Let us incline our ears to hear what God has to say to you. Listen attentively to what God is teaching you. 
and pray for God to give you that heart to teach others. That we may do it to glorify His name and to show His glory to the world. And then He will be glorified by us all our days. Amen.